I got a thing for this. Okay, uh, welcome to Artwork Play, a play for, hold on. Welcome to Artwork Play, a play for feeding the pod, sorry, one more time. <laughs> welcome to Artwork Play, a podcast for feeding the posting to Praxis pipeline. <laughs> yeah. It's really funny been dry for a while but we came back strong i like that you get the wikipedia page that's aaron g parentheses artist well the other aaron g didn't go to art school she <laughs> so gets far. to be composer i don't think she, she would be mad at that i mean she's a composer <laughs> i i actually yeah. have never met the other aaron g uh, although many, many of my acquaintance has have, and we have said hi to each other through our mutual acquaintances a few times. Uh, I don't know if I'll, like, is the universe going to explode if we ever end up in the same room? I'm not sure. I was just going to say, uh, we, we did immediately begin speaking at Aaron, but we didn't actually introduce Aaron after the uh, <laughs> After you explained that I'm so. highly easily <laughs> to confuse with another Aaron. Well, I think the best way to explain, to talk about Aaron is to talk about what Aaron isn't. <laughs> you know, so Aaron <laughs> is not the other Aaron G. <laughs> because, just because your career is so, uh, it's quite um, uh, vast or broad, or I, I don't know the right way to say it, but there's a lot of, ass- it's multifaceted, like a diamond, uh, like an uncut gem. That's it, includes, it includes making music and it includes it like, Kind of like the Venn diagram, kind of imperially overshadows all those. <laughs> yeah, components. and I can see how that aspect would be confusing. I I work with. Um, I, I think that uh, the easiest way to distinguish me would be to say that I've been experimenting with uh, effective interfaces and um, kind of like experimental methods for gathering biometric data of humans in order to. Um, in order to kind of like work with, uh, I don't know, in like ways that human bodies can be algorithmic and maybe how algorithms can be embodied. Uh, I, I, I think that might be a new thing that I'm doing because it used to be human voices and electronic bodies, but I think I'm going to rock embodied algorithmicity after this because, uh, yeah. Um, it might just confuse me with the other Aaron G too much, who just happens to be a vocalist. And anyone who works with music nowadays has seen a microphone, so their human voice has gone into an electronic body um, quite like many times. So, I, I like that you um, uh, figure your work with the body and the algorithm because, there, as John was saying, there's so much that you do. So I like that you put that first. The small Canadian academic and art world, I was speaking to somebody who um, does a lot of criticism of AI uh, and, you know, techno-utopianism's kind of like broad and popular uptake. And you were given as a sort of exception to uh, the the rule of that sort of um, blind faith in in algorithms and technology like apropos of nothing like she didn't know that i knew you or that we'd spoken previously and i thought oh yeah well that's that's a nice i feel like that's a a good compliment in this particular historical moment yeah well i mean 
I think it'll give you a different kind of audience, but I, I, I'm glad that I'm connecting to, um, God, I'm connecting to people and that they see that in my work, because I think it's actually pretty vague because, uh, I, I think I mostly put my work out there and I, with the exception of, uh, Project Heart, the video game I made, which I, I, I think might be the most quote unquote overt of my works, but yet not overt enough, according to some, but I, I, uh, I'm a little mysterious. I think you have to really read into the subtleties of my work before you discover my, um, ambivalence towards it. <laughs> right. I think, I, I think of technology more as like an in, inevitable material of our time. And I don't really feel like it needs to be celebrated or vilified any more than our actual human bodies are. Um, Interesting. <laughs> I disagree. Like I, I, I do think technology needs to be vilified. Um, not technology like spoons or technology like books, but I mean technology like uh, like contemporary di- digital technology. Just it, like at least in terms of its uh, unchecked and unreflexive. Uh, yes, and, and, and in that respect, I don't. Right now. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like vilified, I think is a bit strong, but I think that the. Um, the yeah, unchecked agreed. glory of technology should not um, should not be happening. It is undue, and I think that this um, this hyper optimism of technology is what has allowed other people to like certain kinds of people to grab a lot of capital and a lot of power um, for reasons that don't even quite frankly make sense. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like that's that's a that's that's a maybe a bit of a window into what I do but more concretely I find that it's like I, I'm a conceptually based uh electronic artist and so I kind of like starting with concepts and running away with concepts and the conversation because that's really fun but for those of you at home who are just like what does this person do um examples <laughs> of things that I have done um I have uh attached biometric sensors to children's choir I have made a fleet of mobile chimes that are connected to method actors that instrumentalize their motions to play different kinds of algorithmic music. Uh, I made a uh, biosensor-driven video game that is riffing off of militainment games. Uh, I am now using the, um, the amazing power of ASMR to condition uh, at-home viewers' neurons. Uh, what else have I done? Um, yeah using using uh neural networks huh um i also kind of make compositions and i'm making more electronic music lately uh if you have anything you want to share we can use it as the like we have we do bridging music throughout the episode that'd be awesome yeah 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 i got i got some new stuff that is like kind of like secret so you guys can like kind of chop it up and edit it as the brit as the editing as the um bridging music because it's uh i don't know like i i i think that in some senses you could think of it as um uh like i I, i'm not sure yet what this is that i've made and uh i don't know if it's a whole composition yet i think I made this music as a way of like really bridging my interest in ASMR with music and seeing at what point mm. you push the music too much and it really stops being ASMR, but also mm-hmm. it needs to be musical enough. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I'm on the fence with this stuff too. Like, I think it's really cool to listen to, but I kind of, it really made me question like, okay, what are the elements of ASMR that I really like? And 
what can translate into music and when does it just kind of start sounding like, I don't know, um, everything else out there or something. I'm really, really sincerely inspired by ASMR. Do you, do you see yourself in terms of the music side of things, do you see yourself as uh, having an affinity to, or kind of like connecting to a, a, a musical genre or a body of work, or is it experimental in kind of like the big E sense where it's just kind of like, I'm uh, kind of like working with sounds and perception and uh, you know, Tone no, I, I mean, like, I, I was listening to um, uh, Cozy Fanny Tootie, I guess, like, Chris Plays Cozy, like, older uh, stuff, and I, I, don't, I don't know, like, I, I think I was really right. interested in how uh, there was these repeated snippets of voice that um, were very warm somehow, and, like, and, and I, I think that it kind of rode that line between sexual and animal and... Um, I, I, because I, I think that it's really easy to sexualize the female voice, especially when, it, as soon as it starts getting experimental or weird or gaspy, because when do we hear these sounds? Ah, during sex. When do we whisper in our partner's ears? Ah, during sex. So um, it's really difficult to, um, it's really difficult to take these sounds out of their normal environment, um, even just effectively. And, uh, try and give them a new context that just goes beyond the first place your brain goes. <laughs> um, so you're working a lot with vocalization and uh, aspiration and, and that sort of thing. Uh, is it? Um, I, I, I made some recordings of myself doing ASMR. Like I was just reciting the neural, the, like the outputs of a uh, LSTM uh, recurrent neural, I think it's, Oh man, I can't remember the technical term for it, but Basically, uh, the outputs of a neural network that was trained on a data set of Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights. I've been working with this particular algorithm for a few years now because I think it's just quite simply the best um, out of all of the data sets that I've tried. Um, What's the draw? What, 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 what made you characterize it as the best? Well, I mean, this is all a question of taste and my taste. Oh, and. Uh, <laughs> I guess it's that I think that like, I mean, Wuthering Heights, I don't know if any of y'all have read it, but yeah. it's this kind of ridiculous parody of a Victorian Gothic novel that is just so horrible, like so psychologically horrible to characters yeah. than the way they treat each other. And so it's kind of uh, very contemporary in that regard though, like some of the mm, sexual power dynamics and some of the social dynamics mm, feels really relevant in the Twitter sphere. Oh, huh, well it could be. Uh, I, 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 I guess I, I never thought of it that way, but I mean, like I, I read it recently and I found myself quite riveted and I guess that like, uh, I felt that like the words that came out repeatedly were things like father, mother, I hated you. I contempted you, but I suffer you to live. If only you could be me, like these kinds of like really, um, grabby kind of like you versus me phrases. And then like, uh, paired with this, these these words that like don't even sound like English anymore, like the Grange and the Thrush Crush and stuff like this, and and so I, I, I think that it's uh, half of Wuthering Heights is in this old Englishy language that you're not even quite sure if it's English anymore, and so you're not really quite sure when I'm reciting it or when I'm looking at the outputs. Like, is this an old English word 
that I don't really quite know, or is this just a funny neural network thing? And this blend <laughs> between the old and the new, I find very intriguing. And uh, I tried reading, I, I tried spitting some academic texts that I really like through the neural network and the output were so depressing to me. It just kind of sound like it felt like a, like, you know, those joke websites that generate um, fake uh, artist uh, statements or something. Like it was really <laughs> yeah. just like the most cynical statement about what academia was. And I was like, no, 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 this could never, we will never talk about this again. And then I did some more, um, some more recent <laughs> science fiction and it kind of felt like a meme to me already. Like, you know, some people are like, we fed Star Wars through a neural network and this is what we got. And I was like, oh, no, no, can't do it. And so um, I, uh, it takes a few days to do. And it also, you have to do a lot of um, like, you can't just like throw something into the blender, you know, like you actually have to do a lot of preparation on every experiment you do. And so um, I don't know, like I, I have, I have a list of things that I think I could try that would be better now that I've tried a few things and failed, but um, the, the Wuthering Heights is still my favorite. And the more that I sit with it, the more that I think I don't need, I need, I don't think I need another novel. Right. Like, I don't, I'm not sure what it adds. <laughs> yeah, I sort of derailed you there, but you're using this um, neural network to uh, like, you're incorporating it into your compositional practice. Yeah. Well, I, it's at, at this point, it's just a neural network. I mean, like I'm looking for other ways to put neural nets into my work. Um, why? I think it's just like, to me, it's not really some kind of a, uh, it's not really this romance of like, Oh, is the machine got a brain equal to my own? For me, it's just like, you know, this is a new cool algorithm that I want to have some fun with and see what it does. Um, right. So, I mean, this concept about, like, is it human creativity or is it a machine creativity? I'm like, ah, eh, no, it's mine. It's all mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, you talked, uh, it seems like it's just in this thread of, like, um, the d digital being the new material and just, like, like uh, w what's cool about the work that you do is that you're sort of even though the like different types of digital media can be so vastly different from one another. Like if you compare a neural network to a piece of electronic music to a, like making a video game, those are all, they're all digital works and they all have some similarities. Uh, but like, it's, uh, I don't know, it's hard to find a correlation in like analog art, like different, but uh, maybe if you're like working with different visual medium, like paintings, but you had like oil and egg tempura, those are pretty different. Or a collage practice. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess you'd just be working with printed matter then. <laughs> I think that there's something about painting, like, no, but it, it's not like anyone was ever like, is the painting actually reality? I mean, like, I, I guess Baudrillard maybe might have gone there, but um, I, I think that this conversation was never really had. Like, it wasn't like people in the 19th century were like, good God, could this painting actually be something that humanity is losing itself into? Have we gone too far with the painting? Like, uh, whereas these conversations, see, like this anxiety seems to happen all the time around technology. So I think it's like something that's entirely different. And I, I think it speaks to how intimate we are with our technologies and how like embedded right. our own sense of yeah. embodiment is with technology. But then again, I'm not around to like ask Emily Bronte how she felt about paintings and sculptures yeah. and collage. So I don't know. 
but with 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 like th- talking about Bronte, it was the you know you hear stories about the novel actually being regarded as like having mm, gone too far yeah, uh, rather yeah. than the painting as being a thing that I don't know too. It really it's because it's too populist, but but and like TV, also then, yeah, it, yeah. It being too is it was it because it was too immersive? <laughs> well, and it's I, I I don't know if we caught this at the top of the show, but like literally at my college the straight-faced, unironic conversation is we have to prepare students for eventual full-scale automation, Um, which doesn't seem terribly uh, alarmist in the long run, I guess. There there are certainly a lot of jobs that are uh, becoming automated, but this to me connects to the kind of hysteria that you're talking about in terms of technology. I like your I like your characterizing that as having to do with our immersion with it, our, our like already being cybernetic, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, but I, at the same time, a lot of people who are offering criticisms of artificial intelligence are saying like, well, actually, what this does is hide a great deal of human labor, and and it seems like you're saying something similar about the neural networks. Oof. Um. I. Uh. I want to know more about what they say, hiding a lot of human lab- labor. What? Huh? Okay, so for instance, like the, like a, a lot of these contemporary robots who are who are offered as like having human bearing out human conversations and having like uh, using artificial intelligent brains to uh, to to have conversations. Well, it turns out a lot of these are mechanical Turks, or like there was recently a new Travis Scott um, AI that did that wrote a Travis Scott song. And, you know, mm. it has a person performing the song and doing a lot of the intonation and a lot of the, the the characteristic Travis Scott stuff and the lyrics themselves. And some people like to argue that trap music is Pavlin. I think often that's quite racist, but, you know, people have that across the, the, the board, that, that kind of interpretation. Um, I mean, not only from a kind of like white normative position, but you hear it from people in the black community as well. That being said, it's presented as an AI project, the video, the song, and a a lot of what's uh, producing that Travis Scott effect is a human imitation. So in both instances, you get what is uh, elided or um, hidden human labor being presented as artificial intelligence. Oh yeah, but I mean, uh, I think that the, I, I, I think that uh, going, t- taking this full circle, I think that there's something about, um, you have like some kind of group of people on earth right now that believe that we are in this new golden age of reason and rationality and technological triumph over our emotions. But <laughs> actually everyone that's hip to Instagram and uh, all of these people that know it's all just a mechanical Turk circus know that we're not, you know, like in this new age of rationality. We are in the circus. We are in the realm of affect and impressions and performance. Um, just right. that we have these technological tools to kind of do it with. I mean, it's like the, it's like, why do we get excited about hype, uh, about uh, vaporware or like have the word hyperstition? <laughs> like, uh, right. it's... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, but I'm just taking my own uh, take on it. It's just that like, uh, there's a, there's a lot of human labor because a lot of people want to be entertained or they want to be fooled or they want to think that, you know, 
our brains have taken us so far. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'd love to, I think that's a really great uh, point to discuss your piece machine on learning at the McKenzie. Okay. Um, just, I just thinking, I mean, uh, Ben hasn't seen this, but it's been above us at our place of work for the past month. Uh, so we're familiar with the piece. Um, but just uh, with like, um, on the subject of uh, people, the the like work behind uh, some of the the technological uh, miracles that are being presented to us through like BuzzFeed he headlines, or we ran such and such through an algorithm, and this is what came out. Right, um, right, your machine right. and learning <laughs> piece is like, uh, I mean, I'll I'll briefly describe it, but your machine and learning pieces is is walking uh, is a is a a video piece that the audience can watch you do a, an ASMR like inspired performance. Um, uh, in addition to uh, a script that was also generated by a, a, a uh, by your neural network. Um, correct me if I'm wrong or. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> we don't oh, no, 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 the script wasn't. No, 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 no this, the oh. script wasn't. Uh, okay. All right. I will cut a portion of that. <laughs> then the script wasn't generated by the neural network. But uh, our friend Ian was commenting how a part of the aesthetic of podcasts is you say we'll cut that and then never cut it. Like you always leave the cut parts in. <sighs> Sorry. Um, but just, I remember cause I was at your artist, uh, talk on the, uh, opening of the, your exhibition and, and, and at the McKenzie and you talked about, uh, being very inspired by ASMR and, mm. um, also that just, I, I keyed into that particularly because it's like a, a, a genre of, um, of media on the internet that is very heavily dominated by women and women, um, uh, performing as like these intimate one-on-one uh, -on -one, uh, interactions with their audience. Um, and that I think like as far as uh, delving into like un so sort of hidden labor um, uh, disguised in uh, maybe a new technological sh uh, envelope or exterior, uh, ASMR is like a very interesting media medium for um, kind of, pushing back on that because like the real, that performative relationship, the, the, this, the, the, this often feminine, um, presence in the, in the, in, inside the machine is very, it's, it's very obvious and present and it's very, mm. has very intimate access with the, with, uh, the user. Um, so, uh, yeah, I was just, I'd love to talk. Well, yeah, wait, if I could okay, add one thing, on. it's like the, um, it, that AS, ASMR in general, but then you're like, in, like using it in that project really makes it clear this idea you're talking about of like affect as this sort of like interface with technology, or if it's, I don't know, it, either it's generated by these technologies we use, or like it's part of the interface of the technology is like the affect of it where it's like the uh the weird uh uh emotions or physical sensations that asmr can cause is sort of this like effective <gasps> interface i feel like 
Mm. I, I, I really, I, I never thought about the relationship between, like, I, I mean, like, I kind of thought a little bit <laughs> about she's ASMR. Got out. <laughs> <laughs> this is Camellia. She always has her tongue out. She's not putting it back in. This is just her style. Um, um, I really like the way she smells. Uh, she, um, she's got such a good little Love dog. A good smell. dog smell. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, it's, it's funny because, like, thinking about ASMR and labor, I know that I've read people talking and, and just kind of casually saying that a lot of ASMR features pink labor and features, like, um, people that are, like, or feminized labor, that they're really doting over you and, like, people that are taking care of you. And it's a lot of, like, these rituals of care work and how that's really tied up in the idea of self-care even. And, like, I, I you can see in some of the titles of asmr videos like you know they'll they'll say that like self-care role play or something and um i i was just thinking about what you were saying about um the relationship of this to actual labor conditions of women and thinking to myself god it's 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 kind of oddly like the you become obsessed with asmr um, like there are, there are definitely some queens in the game and some kings in the game, but the whole point of the ASMR trigger, what you like about ASMR, it's kind of just to get more of the same. You're not looking for anyone to reinvent the wheel, like to a certain degree, maybe, but for more than anything, you just kind of click in and to get more of what you've always had. And I'm just thinking to myself about how this like kind of monotonous repetition and like, it doesn't really matter what you say, it's how you say it maybe that has so much to do with like women's work and care work in general in a really depressing way. And the fact that it's like repeated by a machine over and over again, and we're all talking about automation and uh, I don't know. Does this make any sense? That's awesome. <laughs> no, I think, I think, totally. yeah, it, particularly in, uh, I mean, it's easy to see uh, feminized labor in uh specifically when we're thinking about um how uh like sexualized labor and how uh mm. females women as objects become interchangeable subjects or inter interchangeable objects rather so it, it intuitively links in in that regard when you also think of like uh domestic labor uh unpaid domestic labor or paid domestic labor also kind of like a female job ghetto you, there is a similar uh um interchangeability there um, but what i like about this is that there is this like youtube star like a lot of these women like uh -huh. one of my favorite um asmr performers karuna satori i mean you can kind of see how YouTube is actively changing her life over the years. Like I've been following her for these last few years. She's bought a house with her YouTube earnings, you know, like right. she's doing good. <laughs> I guess I, I propose, like in connection to what you were saying earlier about influencer culture, uh, that it seems to me that follower based economies, uh, like, necessarily have their success their success stories it is an aspiration mm -hmm, it's an economy mm -hmm. that feeds on aspiration and so yeah. whatever the content that's being delivered even if it is advertisements in this case it's not i mean and often that's it people often offer advice 
life hacks, etc. Not everybody's out here shilling. Um, that I think necessarily there has to be somebody, um, you know, making money off of it for, for like in in that kind of like social media platform based ecology. I don't know. I just think like I, I'm a big fan. I it, ASMR is something I love. Um, it's this um, sound art form that I think totally reconfigures how abstract and effective relationships to sound can come to an audience. I know that some people might kind of look down on YouTube because it's just YouTube or something. And I no. think that this might be a large part of why I, I know no one here is going to do that, but um, I, I guess that I think about how I'm still really confused as to why there hasn't been more critical attention paid towards ASMR and sound studies or an electroacoustic music. Um, I know that over the years, more communication study students and sound study students have been like kind of asking professors for readings in ASMR. Um, and there's more stuff that's kind of coming out on the sound studies blog. Uh, there's a few fantastic communication scholars that write about the topic. Um, but I think that one major stepping stone uh, to ASMR kind of being and I don't think it's been excluded from experimental music. It's just that it's not really been included um, yet. And uh, I think that one of the major stepping stones is the fact that it, it is like, it, it is actually pushing back against so many things that identify um, experimental music as like being a, a prestige item because like it, 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 right. a prestige experimental music experience would either be like the mutech kind of like big concert big lasers um like stadium electronic music experience or something in a museum that was very intellectual and yeah. um like rooted in a concept that was like really like actually like drawing some kind of line back historically to um john cage alvin lucier and maybe, uh, maybe like, uh, some other male in the past. Um, and, uh, yeah, 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 but Pauline is always like the one woman that gets messaged. Sometimes I'm happy when, uh, Eliane gets a message. I don't know, messaged. Oh my God. Like we're on the internet. No, but like, I I feel like these, there's these token women that almost pop up as like exceptions to the rule. And it's almost like, you know, here's Smurfette in sound art. Um, but I mean, Pauline Oliveros and John Kish <laughs> are the big ones. Lucier, fine. But I, but I do, you're right, there's misogyny and I'm not denying that. But, it, but in terms of close listening and altering our relationship to sound, th- those two are definitely high watermarks. Uh, and I think not, I think to, to, to me, and I hope that I'm not just coming from like a biased misogynist position, to me, Pauline Oliveros stands out not as a token but as like a like a significant shift and 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 i think the career is evidence of the of the misogyny she grinded away for decades before she got was properly acknowledged but yeah you get i but i think that Mm -hmm. um i mean i just looking at the major books like if you are a young student being like i like sound i would like to learn about the sound studies. Um, all of the major publications that exist today 
about um, sound studies reader or not the sound studies reader. We're not going to trash that one. That one's good. But um, uh, there's, there's um, various compendiums of uh, sound art that basically have like one or zero females in it, including ones that are very beloved to me and that were very formative to me. And so um, there is this idea um, that I encountered just recently. I need to actually Google it so that I get the name correct. Um, Cause I've been riffing on her ideas. Uh, just, I, I need to just give her a shout out. Um, Some <laughs> ASMR activity taps on the keyboard there. Uh, Marshless laughter. <laughs> right. So um, Marie Thompson, she's the one who I've been like kind of riffing off. Uh, because I'm really excited about uh, an article I read by Marie Thompson recently, but she just kind of said that um, to, when we talk about like feminist experimental music, we need to kind of be a little bit more precise about what that means because feminist does not necessarily mean that it's recognized as like feminized. It also doesn't mean that a female has done it or that every female is making feminized work or is necessarily right. making feminist work. But right. um she points to like feminism as a verb as something that a work does and so she pointed right. to a few works by oliveros as examples of artwork that really actively reconfigured the relationship of the audience um to the music itself now that might be kind of banal because experimental music has been doing this like since the age of whenever we started writing about it uh, but I think that she said that in that way, experimental music actually is kind of like the, the feminized version of like whatever the, the patriarchal music online's music or something like that. But, um, but that she said, it's interesting that even though it is the like kind of feminized version and that there are these like values that you could say would, you would normally associate with like feminization, like open-endedness and, uh, audience participation and, uh, uh, I don't know, chance or something like that. And uh, being open to, you know, kind of ambiguous uh, endings or something as, as compared to like, you know, the straight ahead, the hierarchical music on the page. Uh, Accessibility, kind of would that count? Like, cause she did a lot of work like yeah. making accessible music too. Would that, would that fall into this yeah. argument? Yeah, and so I guess what she's saying is that like experimental music already is kind of like this feminized version of whatever we call the music tradition. But at the same time, the core of power doesn't appear to have shifted because hmm. it's still all dudes that are kind of written as the heroes of the genre. And so she says that she feels that feminist music is something that really kind of actively changes that. And me, I'm like, whoa, ASMR. ASMR puts you in this whole other embodied relationship to the sound artist in such a radical way that people right. in sound art don't even see it. Awesome. <laughs> okay, let me do the hard-hitting journalism question. So, the there, I, I wondered when you were talking about um, the academic reception of ASMR. About, I do, I, I I've like gone online, listened to ASMR. Mostly, I just a lot of my practice is just stealing other people's sounds off of YouTube and Instagram, and so I've used ASMR sounds, but I don't know that I've ever. Uh, uh, adequately accessed that I don't know if I've experienced in the way that it's intended. 
Have you not gotten the tingles, Ben? Uh, I don't, you well, haven't this, gotten tingles? This, I mean, this is a really good setup to my question. For some people, uh, the argument is that ASMR is a species of, like, horoscopy. Like, it's like, uh, it's, it's a thing that people gather around as a community and talk about existing, uh, but it's, it's not evident that it actually does, you know? Um, like it's, it's like, and I, and I, this is kind of like a lob ball to you to talk about the, what, mm. but, but I do think there is, it's a, or like not naturopathy or something like that. Like, is, is it a thing that is, is, you know, is there science behind it? Does it, is it doing what we expect it ought to do? Horoscope? You mean you mean like horoscopes when you said horoscopy? Uh, yeah, I'll just make fun of Ben. Oh come on, you said affect. Affect. <laughs> uh, affect twin. No, but I mean, but but to play the devil's advocate, it does seem that there is like I, like I don't have an adequate relationship. This I don't know anything about it. I like I think I got tingles. I I think I like binaural recordings. Is what I think. Um, like I don't I don't and and to me it actually feels like I don't I don't like the the whispering and I don't like the words usually. Like I haven't found good stuff. Well, here let me put it this way. Um, I have had tingles since I was very young. I have gotten tingles since I was a wee lass. And I got tingles typically when people were reading stories to me, were reading books to me. And so I believe I fall under the category as a person who has tingles due to personal attention. But there's also something about the quiet, you know, one-on-one relationship, the flipping of a book, the materiality of a book, the magic of me just like staring at the page and being like, wow, I wonder what big Sarah's little boots, what she's doing there, you know? But isn't that just um, pleasure? Like when I, like I was reading Lydia Day, when I get pleasure, I often (laughs) feel a warmth in my cheeks, right? And I don't think everybody experiences pleasure that way. I think that's my body. And I was reading Lydia Davis last night and I had that character, there's a line and I had that characteristic sensation across my cheeks you know sounds like it could be tingle related but um i put this to you is that like i think it's entirely possible that there are these people that have this tingle feeling like i knew it i felt really excited when i heard about it i was like dear god there's a word for that and i remembered (laughs) feeling these tingles but it was never really important enough to me to like pursue or anything like i knew it was something that i felt but i never put a name to it because i experienced it the most when i was a child Um, and, uh, I was really, really interested when I discovered that there was an art form that was developing on the internet based off of people who were trying to chase a physiological reaction amongst each other. I mean, to me, I was like, this is a really embodied sound practice. This is a compositional practice that is built around a really firm methodology of like getting 
a physiological reaction out of people. And they're working together and it's not in an institution. Like there's nothing institutional about ASMR. It's people trying their hardest to be rigorous and they think that means science. Um, Right, yeah. And so they're kind of set up to fail. But as artists, they're brilliant. (laughs) So yeah, okay, maybe the science is not that good. Nevertheless, it seems weird because now there's like scientists that are actually like researching the phenomena because what they're researching is actually like the use of ASMR in order to, um, you know, what are the relaxation benefits of ASMR? And I mean, like, sure. I mean, if it becomes a big enough thing, maybe it's worth investigating. I mean, like, what are the relaxation benefits of ambient music? I mean, I think as musicians, we might be a bit like, I don't know, could be a benefit, could not be, depends on the music. I think the same damn thing about ASMR, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's just that I think they're talking about it wrong. They're trying to justify it in the wrong way. I think if it was only justified as an art form, it's amazing. (laughs) Right. Uh, Could could we talk about the um, militarized (laughs) potential of ASMR as a way to segue into talking about Project Heart? Gosh, I mean... Um, I wonder, I bet there's someone researching its applications yeah, to you know, the, PTSD. The PTSD research always has like the, like way less money than the, uh, the automated drone, like, you know, mech suit research. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll be like a training simulator for like, uh, run, like, uh, piloting the drones is like an, a oh my god, that would be so funny. Like, uh, <laughs> now, just pr- I press this button. <laughs> this is, this is really, that, this is beyond. I'm really impressed. I'm really like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, uh, ASMR, you are piloting a drone, ASMR. <laughs> I was listening to an interview with Grimes and she was talking about what's the meditation app that you use, Kat? Oh, Headspace. So she uses that one and she was talking about being really embarrassed about that. But she says she likes it, that she quite (laughs) likes it. Cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, exactly. And and then she was talking about how she wanted to make like a more arty version of it. And then she fed, uh, she somehow used an AI to generate their own kind of like led meditations and then she arrived at this thing where they're just doing meditations on on brands basically so somebody just literally saying like apple amazon uh dow whatever um and she was gonna do that she did that um and in fact she's having some kind of uh, big kind of like rave art event and the and these meditations are going to feature and they're and they're totally based off this headspace app no but i just think it sounds it's <laughs> that we like we joke about a dystopia in which uh there's asmr in, uh um drone directives and but you know <laughs> then we have this it's kind of it's kind of brilliant and how utterly disturbing it is i'll give us that i i i think if I take, if I pull back and, and don't look at my very contemporary kind of like purity politics relationship to art, that it is, it's, it's just in the kind of like devilish, um, what's the one guy, Paul McCarthy or whatever style of, uh, of art. There's something provocative about it. I think I, she pitches it as if she's genuinely, 
she genuinely finds the repetition of brands soothing. Uh, but I think she's, she's doing a little bit of, I think she's, she's being arch if I, I think she's she's doing it right because I find irony to be just so boring. It's a way of saying nothing twice. (laughs) Um, So like, yeah, I, I, I I mean, I I think she's doing it right. I'm horrified. Um, I don't think I'd feel comfortable at the show, but I don't, I'm not going to say she's doing anything wrong. (laughs) She, she interests me. I do. I do. I, I, just precisely she because she is kind of in that silicon valley techno utopian mindset it seems like um uh, the i mean i she's the partner of elon musk and i and i feel like that energy seems but maybe they're not i i don't remember i heard they weren't or something right she supposedly is uh pregnant now right she posted an image that she posted an image that uh, was like her. A weird, it was weird. Her with a baby in her belly or something. She could <laughs> be trolling. I think she's also doing something. This might actually interest you, Erin, where she's doing, uh, she's kind of like um, divorcing her online persona. And she's like, like putting in this kind of like CGI uh, character in her stead. Uh, so that she doesn't have to be responsible for her social media presence. Hmm. Oh, well, I don't know. It sounds good. Um, I mean, is that sort of like, Oh, sorry. Go. Aaron. I'm I, nothing. It's like, I, I don't know. It all sounds fine to me. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed. It's, it's fine. <laughs> I like, well, that's the second time I've heard you use the word impressed. And I'm like, I don't know if she means that as a compliment. <laughs> no, 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 I do. I do. I do. I mean, I, I, I just, I don't really feel like I have very much to add. I'm like, well, it's, it's disturbed me. And yet I oddly like it, but I sort of hate it. I think it might be my favorite, but I still feel bad. I don't know. This is so awkward. <laughs> Tell us about Militainment. Sure. In the same, in the exact same feeling. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Right. The ASMR drones, it's all about instrumentalization in order to the, to keep on pushing on and doing the thing. Cause uh, the whole birth of ASMR is in this context of increasing individualism and neoliberalization of our society And where we can all also individually retreat at night to like get fake spa treatments because we're so stressed out. Um, And I guess that like a lot of the military, there's a lot of very deeply um, inhumane aspects of war, like even more inhumane. Like I think that um, the, actually the Italian futurists were kind of making their electronic music as this kind of weird trolling, like I I know that there's been some written about how Marinetti was serious and, or sorry, not, was it? That's the guy. I'm going to have to Google this. Yeah. That Marinetti was serious and like he seriously hated women and that he seriously wanted, you know, technology to be the only purity in war. And I think that he was trolling Um, or maybe he wasn't, I don't know, but that's it. But I, I, I mean, I don't think he was the most interesting one out of the bunch, but I will say that this was like, you know, this is the, the history that we've been given. And kind of this like reaction against the inhumanity of uh, the technology of war. And I, 
I guess that like I, I similarly kind of feel like there's a lot of even deeper inhumane things <laughs> about warfare uh, nowadays, what with like remote drone warfare and just like the sheer, um, like the way that technology can be applied that you can just kind of like mm. in- exterminate, um, you know, your enemy basically. Uh, I mean, I'm not like a war expert, but I was just thinking about how odd it is that as technology for um, mass extermination of people who are in our own species, um, you know, gets more sophisticated, there also is this media emergence of, uh, you know, mediatization that makes it seem all kind of like fun and heroic and self-righteous and like, you know, we have to kill the bad guys because we have to do our job. We have to put our boots on in the morning and get her done. <laughs> like, it's almost like got this like farmer attitude of like, somebody has to get the crops growing or like whatever. Like, and, but the thing is, is that you kind of have to give it that tone of voice because the people who are, um, and, and also there's like this inhumane kind of treatment of the actual soldiers themselves in a way, because the people that get carted off to war are, statistically probably um people in the u.s who are trying to get access to um trying to get access to uh you know go to school or like just trying to get a good job or something it's like these kind of like upper class elon musk people are not lining up to go to war anymore it's like not really uh it's not even i don't know anyone who's gone off to war personally i'm revealing myself as the upper class, but, um, I, I don't know. I find it, I, I find that like, uh, the tone of voice in these video games is just bizarre as a culture clash. There's a lot of the kids playing these video games. Like there's, there's people who probably actually do work as laborers in, uh, overseas fighting or peacekeeping or whatever that play these games and love them. But there's a lot of people that just play them that have no idea. Uh, uh I don't know where I'm going well, with this exactly. You guys have to start. They're with famously them. sort of co-developed along with the military, right? And then yes. used as sort of ways. We watched the movie uh, Jarhead over the weekend <laughs> with um, Jake, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal, and it's set in the Gulf War uh, in '91. And the hilarious thing is, they just have nothing to do the whole time. Whereas nowadays, everyone would just be on their phones or like playing, playing video games. Playing yeah. video games. Whereas, like that was one thing where it's like, oh, I bet entertainment in the in the barrackses have has changed a lot over the the course of my lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> like uh, yeah, like the Adam Curtis like Bitter Lake doesn't he it doesn't he go over some. Uh, some footage of, of British soldiers playing like whatever shoot 'em up game <laughs> or or first person shooter rather. Yeah, I, I guess that like the way that militainment has been used as this kind of way of like uh, not like art washing, but like um, it's been used as this way of kind of making the military socially acceptable and relatable and like I don't know cuddly somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, Top Gun actually was funded by the military to a certain degree top gun tom well, cruise a lot of these yes, are yes, yes take my breath away <laughs> 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 like the, like made it romantic and like uh you then know. when you watch that knowing that when you watch that movie it seems just so crazily like i don't know 
like it seems like something that was like that painting of Napoleon or something, but for American Empire, it's just very over. It's very grandiose and broke in its like display of imperial power. You mean like the painting of Napoleon that's like done like four or five times with different color horses and all over the world? <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the same sort of way that is Top Gun. <laughs> they also had to iterate on the movie, I'm sure. Yeah. Not on the soundtrack, though. Soundtrack was perfect. Keep it. In, in Japan, they actually, um, like, I, I read this article recently about how um, they use, like, manga, manga girls as a way of kind of, like, softening the image of military. Like, they, they even <laughs> had, like, a kind of anime character painted on a plane recently, and that this, like, kind of, like, cosplay girl would come out and like wave and greet people um and that the and even to the degree that i guess that like the same article was saying that like movies like godzilla or even evangelion often has this like foreign threat that comes and it kind of like um demonstrates to you that like you know the this foreign threat like forces japan to like bring out its army and like defend itself um and so there, I, I guess that, like, this is a totally different thing. I read a lot of stuff about the different like global reactions to militainment and stuff like that. But, <laughs> uh, and also I was re- doing some research about South Korea where um, they have uh, like everybody, every guy that reaches the age of like 18, like I believe across South Korea, like has to go into the army. And so at one point they had these kind of like celebrity military um, groups because obviously you can't have like celebrities rubbing shoulders with like, you know, normal Koreans or something. (laughs) And so you would have like a lot of pop stars that were all going in the military and it would all be like in the paparazzi, like check out your favorite pop star who now has a military haircut and is now in the military. And like, it makes, it makes this military life look so um, glamorous in a way. It's like Um, Elvis in the American military. Yeah, and this has completely gone away in the American military. I guess that, like, I was also reading about, like, star power and people that go to perform pop music for the military, and it's really fallen out of vogue. Like, they have a lot of problems trying to get people to go out and uh, perform for the military. I guess that it, like, is kind of a risky political statement nowadays, and, like, you know, a lot of pop stars would rather just, like, not... And so you have people like Jessica Simpson and like some country music stars that will go out and perform. You have some brands of metal, like some metal bands that are like specifically like military metal bands. Um, (laughs) That sounds amazing. (laughs) It's kind of makes sense. And so they play to their base um, and there's uh, their, there are like uh, music videos online of like across the world of people that, that are like, uh, like the Chinese government has like metal screamo bands that have been paid for by the Chinese military. <laughs> um, there's like, uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff. If you go looking for it, I, I have like a collection of like military pop stars that were like funded by the military, um, like on YouTube. But uh that is sort of the military operating on an effective dimension, yeah. especially like um, 
the uh, uh, the screamo band or, or like metal bands playing military music well, is like yes this this uh, intense sort of violent sounding music will make our soldiers feel intense and violent <laughs> in the same way that ASMR is supposed to get a physiological reaction out of you I think screamo is supposed to do the same thing no genocide without poetry uh, but like you know that whole like and then I was like, <laughs> 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 it's like I'm picturing a Mad Max style. Like you have the big truck with the screamo band driving off in front of the army. As you have sort of like a, the uh, the the core at the front of the force is like all mosh pit people who sort of like mosh into the opposing enemy force as a way to like disrupt their ranks. But Very like, cool. this is music that's made for moshing. Like once again. Physical interaction is a part of the fabric of that music. <laughs> do you want to say a bit more about your video game? Yes, please do. Yeah, sure. the um, one that so, was showing this week. <laughs> yeah, so I uh, Project Heart is Holographic Empathy Attack Robotics Team. And it is a militainment game that is developed in VR that was showing as part of the Artist Project Toronto last weekend. And uh, I guess that Alex told me that um, he has some really great photos. Alex Lee, who is my collaborator, he has some great photos of like a massive lineup of children lining up just to play the game. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm really excited for this photo op. Um, But... I guess that uh, I made this game thinking, because at the time I was commissioned to make a VR game, and at the time the big dialogue in VR was like Chris Milk style, like VR, unparalleled empathy, because you're really there. Imagine you're physically in someone's shoes. In our experience, it hasn't moved much past that. We were just showing one of our works at a conference like what in this fall and that was like literally the subject of it yeah are we actually call him crisp milk around here oh <laughs> like he's a cereal or something like crisp milk oh okay okay <laughs> he's a brand um yeah so i mean you guys are all you guys have all read like the same the same articles that i've read critical of oh, the empathy <laughs> Odid Ben is illiterate I, <laughs> I got it um, but I guess that like I, I really was thinking about this idea of like instrumentalized empathy and like what if if this is this technology that promises to like you know somehow use the technique or the technology to like make you extra emotional I thought well what about the opposite situation like what if the technology compelled you to be extra emotional um to like in order to use the technology uh in this devious kind of way and so um i developed this um really pop culture laden video game called uh yeah holographic empathy attack robotics team i was really thinking about like my immense love for 90s anime and thinking about like what a great anime movie would be called. Um, and uh, the basic idea is that the viewer is kind of complicit in this new drone technology that is known as emotional warfare. And uh, the idea is that 
there is this um, drone that is driving around the battlefield and, or not a drone, it's a Roomba with a little hologram beaming out of it. And the hologram is this pop star that's like owned by the military or she's like the permanent military, um, like entertainment now. And because like, they don't have like concerts, the concerts on the battlefield, cause everything is automated anyways. You don't really need to think you just need to be in the mech suit. But, um, if people get depressed, then something needs to be there to distract them. So civilians strap into this like effective technology and give their emotion to the effective pop star. And whenever you like feel adequately emotional, then the pop star gives like a little like, ah, and like sings and distracts the view, the, 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 the soldiers and makes them feel better. So, um, throughout the game, the HP of the soldiers is just like their, um, I don't know, their will to go on. So uh, they, instead of having these like, you know, little lines at the bottom of the screen that say like, you know, how much HP they have left, they basically just say more and more cynical things as they get more depressed. So they start out the game and they say things like, you know, for the future and like, you know, advancement at any cost. And uh, then as they get a little bit more low on HP, they start saying things that are a little bit more ambivalent, like, if I die, it's because I didn't try hard enough. <laughs> or uh, or uh, my violence is a form of labor. <laughs> you know, that cynical. <laughs> well, it's not quite depressed yet. Maybe they're just accepting their fate. I'm not sure. Um, Sounds like material history to me. <laughs> and then, and then when they get really depressed, they start saying things like "help, help, I don't feel anything." <laughs> Um, or just like, when will the screaming stop? Uh, and then when they get really depressed, one of the lines that they say is, uh, my good intentions are worthless. So, um, <laughs> as they, as they get more and more depressed, you have to try and get physiologically more pumped up to, um, make them keep on fighting. Uh, their enemy, on the other hand, is woefully tell technically unskilled compared to them and they're just like normal soldiers that just basically get slaughtered and as you continue playing the game the corpses of the enemy just litter the battlefield and at the end of it um we say that either your Roomba's batteries are going to run out because i just wanted there to be an ending to the game um or everyone becomes horribly depressed and they can't fight anymore uh, regardless, the end of the game results in uh, another drone <laughs> picking up your Roomba and flying you off to where you are greeted with just the statistics of how many enemies you slaughtered versus how many of your home team went home depressed. Um, and there's an, there's an interface <laughs> that you communicate your um, emotions through. Yeah, the, the audience is the audience of the artwork is actually plugging in physically into the artwork yeah, not just in addition not, to wearing a vr headset yeah well i mean i think that it really calls into question like what exactly this empathy is when people are like yeah vr is going to create more empathy and so i actually challenge the viewer to materially change their physiology to like in a very very strict sense look physiologically look like they are enthusiastic now um things that physiologically look like enthusiasm to effective um computing sensors are, you know, they're very easily fooled. They're very dumb, but uh, in some ways, yeah, you can, it, it, you can physiologically feel when you, you get a rise out of yourself. Um, and so 
I, I think that this is kind of like a weird comment on this technology too. I've been working with uh, effective biosensors for years. And so I have my own like DIY versions of uh, heart rate sensors and uh, sweat sensors, GSR. I have a good little respiration sensor now. Um, these three sensors are all I'm really interested in right now. There's of course temperature sensors that I could throw into this, but I, um, I'm not, I, I really distinguish myself as someone that's like against the brain sensor. I think there's enough information I can get off the body without the brain. The brain already has so much cred in, uh, in all of our human history as being like the seat of humanity itself or something. So I'm ready to just give it a break and be like, no, 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 no. Just the rest of our body, our heart, our emotions. You haven't used a muse head yet, headset yet? I haven't used it. I have to admit that I'm a little, um, the way that I use the bio data is so, uh, I'm not going to say precise, but I just find that I'd be really frustrated by the amount of noise that people could get out of these other sensors because like these sensors are extremely noisy in real life psychological, um, experiments. You usually have like an incredible amount of conductive gel put onto your head and this thing gets placed on your head by like a skilled practitioner right. and you're in a completely dark room and like the stimuli only comes at you as you're like seated perfectly still. And um, I think the muse is cool for certain things, but it's just not cool for how I want to use because I'm really into this idea of like instrumentalization. And I think that to me, I just don't want to be in a situation where um especially because I, I really increasingly want to move towards crowd participation. And uh, I don't have the faith that a crowd could put on their own muse reliably. And I have more faith that they could put on these other senses reliably. And I just kind of want to eliminate noise. And once again, like anti-brain culture. That's a funny thing. Uh, just, uh, I'm, our, our friend Shen Yi is working with a Muse headset right now on a project, and she's uh, literally using it to um, modulate a noise uh, uh, f- uh, f- pattern or whatever. So it's funny that you say, yeah. it, it, like in a way, then that that's a really like sp- good use of it, if because it is so noisy, is just to modulate noise. <laughs> I love Shen's practice, big beating heart for. Shen's practice. Uh, I, I, I see. And like, I don't want to like dis like brain interfaces too loudly because I don't really feel like I'm like taking a poop on like other people that I think are brilliant that are working in this way, but I'm just expressing why I personally in my own practice, I have an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I like, well, I like how you, you have aesthetics for everything. Like, uh, or like you have a, an aesthetic approach to all these different aspects of your practice that most right. people don't think about aesthetically because they're not working them as artists, like whether it's neural nets or uh, sensors. <laughs> it's great. Very nice. I, I was going to say an aesthetic choice about uh, the the uh, the Vocaloid uh, avatar, but um... oh yeah, that's uh, that's Yamane Haku. Um, I'm I mean a lot of people probably should know Hatsune Miku, but now I'm going to my first Hatsune Miku concert in May. Very very excited. Um, Hatsune Miku is like you know the Vocaloid par excellence. Vocaloid is basically like Garage Band but with voices so you can use her voice it's in software you can have your own pop stars using this i don't know kind of like catch-all everyone can use her pop star i once got a like from her on instagram what wow 
I Yawane, that's that's incredible. Uh, Yawane Haku is kind of like this like weird fan spinoff that because I guess that like a lot of people on fan forums were like, I read this Hatsuri Miku song, but how come nobody likes it? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and like you know, these other people that make yeah, ha- these songs are really not good, not good like me. And so like somebody kind of made fun of like these like self entitled artists who are like saying that everybody else was crap. And um, they made this special Vocaloid for like. Um, I don't know, really bad Vocaloid users or something. And so I thought that I would just like take her because she's like this like symbol of like failed um, <laughs> pop star career or something and like plop her into the military because this seems to be like the way of the military. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. Cut it out, cut it out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyways, we can just keep it at like, you know, she's she's kind of got this failed career and I thought it'd be interesting if the if the uh, military picked her up and gave her a new career. We look at our SoundCloud listens and it's like one listen in Langley, Virginia and like, yikes, damn it, we heard it. (laughs) Thanks for hanging out with us, Aaron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was super fun. Um, Things to plug. For those folks in Regina, Aaron G's uh, solo exhibit at the Mackenzie Art Gallery is up um, still for... I Fre- can't forever. forever. <laughs> it's there forever. Yeah, it's up until I think uh, April... I think April 19th is the date, but I might be crazy and think it's the 26th. I can't really remember, but it's... Uh, Late April, for sure. So make your way out here. <laughs> Do you have anything else you want to plug? Anything coming up? Do you want to tell people where they might find your music when it's done? Like, uh, if we're going to use it as bridging music, where can what what spot can they watch to find it? It's all in the air. I'm sorry. There's 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 things that are coming up, but they're all secret right now. Fair enough. Uh, it's, it's, so if you visit, if you look spec work up on youtube you'll see the playthrough of this and uh that'll compel me to upload some more of our (laughs) videos that we've recorded of of us playing games um but you'll watch our playthrough of xcom that we did yay artists play xcom (laughs) and you can find aaron on social media at uh on instagram and do you use any other social medias Oh yeah, I'm underscore Aaron G on Instagram, and am I underscore Aaron G anywhere else? I can't remember. I'm on Instagram, sort of. Um, Facebook's kind of my main squeeze. Uh, um, YouTube. Other than that, I think I'm like I have like a really ridiculous um, handle on YouTube. It's like Sparkle Muffin G or something like that. <laughs> Oh well, I, I I I got a YouTube account before I was a professional. What can I say? <laughs> I just told Kat the other day that I wish I had the. I saw someone who had the username Dark Jedi underscore six, and I was like, I wish that was my email address. That'd be awesome. Hi. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thanks for the spending two hours. That was very nice. It's been rad. Hey, wait, I have a, okay, I have a new advertisement, uh, and it's based on a, 
uh, Aaron was joking about like how the military has to sort of be like we're hardworking farmer types. Like it's like you got to sell it as being uh, something that's sort of salt of the earth. And just imagining an advertisement like that for the CIA and it being like my my daddy was a waterboarder. My granddaddy was a waterboarder. <laughs> I knew going up that I would be a waterboarder too. We only use the finest water in our waterboarding techniques, fed by our artisanal spring right out back of the yard. Down at Carroll Family Farms, we do waterboarding the old-fashioned way, just like it was supposed to be done, with good, clean, spring-fed water. 